Episode number seven, Jim Flanagan, teaching writing to children with storytelling and working with state benchmarks. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories. Folk tales. They are messages from our ancestors. Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school. Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child. Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion. And live with grace. Hey, welcome to another episode of The Art of Storytelling with Children. I am Brother Wolf, Eric Wolf, and I am so excited that you have joined us today on this wonderful podcast. The last show we just finished up was with Judith Black, uh, and she talked about um, telling child-based stories, and it is currently available on the website. If you're listening to us in the podcast, it would be the show before this one. Um, my current guest is amazing as well, and it is Jim Flanagan, and he is uh, an amazing and accomplished storyteller who has given lots of his time to the storytelling community and also to um, bringing storytelling into schools. His experience includes uh, working with the Greater Columbus Arts Council, Artist of the School Program, since 1998. He was a runner-up to the National Storytelling Competition in 1999. He was a featured teller in Washington, D.C. Public Library Summer Program of 2002. He was a National Parenting Publication Award winner in 2004. He was the keynote speaker in the Ohio Governor's Summit on Character Education in 2005. And he was the featured teller in the Southern Ohio Storytelling Festival in 2006. He currently works at the Thurber, is that correct, Jim? Thurber House, right. Thurber House Writing Academy in 2003 to present, and he is the co-president of the Storytellers of Central Ohio. They have a wonderful little speakeasy in Columbus, uh, which is pretty amazing. Uh, And he's also a member and a representative of the National Storytelling Network in Ohio. As the executive board member of the Southern Ohio Storytelling Festival since 2003, he's been uh, involved in getting them going and continuing on the path to success they've been, they've been having. And in particular, one of the reasons I invite him on the show, is the author of two books, Stories Heard Around the Lunchroom, 2004, Honors Book of NPPA. What is the NPPA, Jim? National Parents Publication Association. And he also wrote The School of Scary Stories in 2006. I also did a picture book that just won the uh, Writer's Digest. Uh, I got that right here. Bearable Mo- Moments, 2005, right. Writer's Digest Honorable Mention, 2007. Somewhere there's a teacher and, rolling around in her grave when she finds that out. <laughs> and and you just wrote a book. Tell us the title of that book. Uh, the School of Fairy Stories. The School of Fairy Stories. And I'm really excited about having Jim on the show today to talk about using... Uh, storytelling and writing and how they're intertwined and how you can use storytelling um, in the classroom to teach writing. So without any further ado, I will stand aside and let uh, our guest speak. <laughs> uh, okay. Jim, thank you so much for coming on, come on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. Uh, uh, so what is, a, what is a favorite story that you like to use to in, in teaching writing to children or teaching storytelling to children? Well, probably two. One is called The Shadow in My Backyard, which is kind of a historical scary story. And then I have one that followed me home, which is kind of a Twilight Zone story for kids. 
and I use those, and I'll explain how I do those. Let me go back and give you a little history. Um, through the end of the sixth grade, I could not read. I cannot read phonically, and I still don't read orally well. I, I I'm the have... same way myself. I, right. I, I didn't learn to read till, um the middle of fourth grade. Well, I was a little behind you, I think. Uh, over the summer, I knew I had to learn to read, so I uh, asked a librarian in the neighborhood, and she taught me to read. I had certain things I had to do, and I did all her yard work for an entire summer. Oh, that's so cool. At the end of the summer, I could read functionally well, and um, I read my first book completely through, and I think I made a promise then that sometime later I would write and publish my own stories, and I did that about 50 years later. It took a while, but I got there. Went through this college, the Army, and uh, became a principal. My last principal tenure, I was involved with a language arts model school in the state of Ohio, and we had people come in to see what we did. And I got involved with the writing. I would tell open-ended stories and use those as stories for uh, prompts, before prompts were used, I guess. Um, from there, I retired. I took a course in writing at Ohio State, and then the Thurber House asked me to come and teach writing there. I decided, since I remembered what it was like to be a kid, when I was a kid, obviously, I couldn't read very well, but I was the best storyteller in the school. Once a week, I would get one kid to have milk come out his nose. It was just a matter of time. Um, so you had the milk out of the nose award repeatedly. Oh, house. yes. Yes, there was one girl who would not even sit near me. So I decided that I would teach writing using storytelling, and this is how I do it. Uh, I come in the classroom, and I tell one of those two stories I just told you, and that gets the kids motivated, gets their attention. And then I say, all right, what would you like about the story? What caught your attention? And then I'd say, okay, now, what particularly, what particular words caught your attention? And we start talking about vocabulary. And we start talking about, you know, you have new vocabulary for new stories. I write down a list of all the old, tried and true, scary story words, and I cross them out. And then we go, and I help them to develop a bank. But before I do that, let me explain a little thing. I don't do shock and gore. Shock and gore doesn't last, but scary lasts. Scary makes you look under your bed before you sleep at night. So, so separate these definitions for us. What is the difference between shock and gore and scary? Shock and I gore is blood and goo and the kind of stuff you see on grade B cable TV. Scary stories draw you in with suspense and twists and turns. And so we start. And what I do after we talk a little bit about um, scary, I say, what is scary? Give me examples of scary. And I make them close their eyes and picture a, you know, a movie that scared them. What do you see? It usually boils down to, in scary stories, some form of something you can't see. Either it's dark, it's around the corner, there are shadows, there are mists, and we pull that out. And then I talk about, you know, you feel something coming. And I explain about uh, suspense. Because a lot of times when you write a story, the kids say, oh, I know where you're going with this. And they do. So you put in a twist and then another twist, and pretty soon they think, well, maybe he's not going to go there. You might end up there, but you're going to take a circuitous route. Um, I use all sorts of things. I, I tell them to use feeling words. For example, you could say, I knew there was something on the other side of the door. Or you could say, I felt something on the other side of the door. 
you could use signals, like in the sixth sense, where when red came on, the ghost was about to come, or if they saw their breath, that was a ghost. I explained um, that suspense is basically you know something's coming, you're expecting something to come, and then you set them up, almost like a jump story. Um, then after we do well, that, without, start, the, without the jump, just just the chills, the slow Just the build. chills. Put them on edge. A, a state of unease is the way I put it to the kids, a menacing kind of thing. And then I have them start writing phrases or words. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to remind people that um, in in June I have Rick Carson on, and he's going to talk in particular on June 26th on working with fear and children in stories. Um, go on. You're talking about the writing. Right. Sorry, Jim. That's right. Um, we build a, a word bank of phrases or words that make the le- reader feel uneasy, feeling words if we can, and we brainstorm a lot of stuff, and then after I think I've got enough, I say, all right, I want you to write a paragraph. I want you to write a paragraph, about two or three, and set a scene for me that you know you can, you can work. I tell them no punctuation, no grammar, just write it, and then we'll build on it. And I usually get some marvelous things. And I walk around the room, of course, and I'm sure everybody does this, and you say, oh, that was great. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, that's very good. Ooh, circle that for me. And then when I ask some of them to read it, I'll say, well, you had a real great thing there. And sometimes it's the kid who doesn't like to write comes up with the great stuff. Once we've got the setting, and, 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 and I make sure that the setting is creepy but realistic, so are you having each person write their own setting for an individual story? Are you having a group story written here? No, it's an individual. Individual, okay. Individual. Um, I also, um, and when I go around, I, I get, well, I give them three or four prompts. I might give them uh, a graveyard. I might give them uh, there's something wrong with Locker 14 in the middle school or uh, the old Bradley house. I give them three or four prompts, and then they pick it up from there. I said, describe what you think that would be like. Uh, then we go with conflicts. All right, you got a scary scene. Now what are we going to do? How how does this fit into your story? How are you going to deal with the situation? Do you want to just write in the first person, the second person, third person? How do you want to fit this into your um, your bag, so to speak? And we brainstorm conflicts. I like to. And a lot of kids don't understand about brainstorming. And I'll say just just I'll write it out. You tell me, and we're not going to judge anything. Just write them all out. The judging is a hard thing for the kids to do, but pretty soon they get into it. Um, then it has to pass tests. First of all, the conflict and situation has got to be realistic. A kid can't write, well, I'm in the graveyard at midnight. Well, your mom is not going to let you in the graveyard at midnight. Get over yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no jumps. It goes smoothly. You don't start at home and all of a sudden you're in a graveyard or all of a sudden you're standing in front of locker nine. Uh, they may not know the ending, but I, I think, you know, think down where you want this to go. And sometimes I've had, I've turned it around and said, I'll write the ending and then let's work backwards. And then I, but I say, think about where you're going to go with this and then think about little twists that you can throw into the conflict. Once we've worked on that, um, I don't want to leave any doubts that things aren't flowing well. So I'll go around and, and ask them questions like, how'd you get here? Where's this going? And they'll have to think a minute, and I'll get some really pretty good answers, and I'll, I'll suggest things. I won't say that's bad. I'll just say, well, you know, you're here, and you, you've got this setting and a conflict. Now, what do you want to happen? 
I make them keep the stories as realistic as possible, and I explain to them that things that could happen are more scary than things where you wave your magic wand and they disappear. And then we start to pull it together. And I can say now, you know, you're going down this way. If your ending is 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 predictable, then it's not going to work. It's like a magic trick that when the guy explains to you what he does, you go, oh, gee, is that what that was? You know, find a find a way to get to there. And we work on endings, and I'll come back to that. Um, and do you always do this just with scary stories, kids? I do with scary stories. I do it with uh, character education stories too. But I like to do the scary stories with the first group because it always the kids always have ideas about that. Um, we write. I have them write a conflict, and I combine the word choice and the setting. And it, it can be kind of circular, but I always come up and say, "All right, where are you going with this? There's a jump here." Uh, I like this. I like this very much. How can you tie them together? Now, a lot of writing is character-driven, and uh, scary stories are more than character-driven. That's another reason I read scary stories. I know you have to have good characters, but I definitely um, like a, a good setting to draw the people in, and then you start your characters. Mm. And then we talk about characters. Um, you can use one of those character boxes, you know, what do they think, what do they and say. No, actually, I have no idea. What is the All right. box? Okay, you have a, a box with three columns. Yep. On the left-hand side, you have, like, thoughts, their weaknesses, their appearance. And then you on the other two columns, you have a hero and you have a villain. Hmm. And then you kind of say, well, what would he do if he was scared? What would he do if he was worried? Oh, I see. What? I don't like to push. What does he look like? What does she look like? Um, I say, how can you define this kid without telling me what it, what he looks like? And a lot of times you get five foot two, eyes of blue, kuchi 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 ku. And I say, oh no no. And then I give him some examples. You know, John is the only kid in the sixth grade who can smell McDonald's five blocks away. Bob smiles a lot, but we don't really think he's that happy. Uh, Mary always fans her face when she gets scared. Anything you can do to to add to the character, let the kid understand the character without making him picture the character. And then I will say, you know, you're going to put this description in, but you're going to add more of the description later because I want you to remind the reader later on down the road what the character's like because sometimes they get lost in the setting. Now, after we've done a conflict and a setting and a character, then I have the kids switch papers, and I give them two rules. First of all, you only write what you like. Second of all, remember, we're not discussing uh, spelling and punctuation. Hmm. So that frees, up, that frees up the creative process because there's less fear of being, you know, of, of being criticized. In some and that's why a lot of kids don't like to write because they, that, all they heard is what they didn't do right. Yeah. I tell them the very uh, famous story about Pearl Harbor where uh, after Pearl Harbor the new guy came in, and I don't know what his name was, and he said, please give me a status report on all your um, your units, your divisions. 
Well, they come back and they have this big report in front of them, tells how many planes and ships, what, what, what really they got, they lost. And he looks around and he picks them all up and he walks over and he throws them in the waste paper basket. He said, I must have made a mistake when I told you. You see, I don't care how many planes you lost and how many men you lost. You come back and tell me what you got, and then I'll tell you how we beat the Japanese. You got. I always go with what they got. And most right. kids got stuff. Sometimes you have to look for it, but most kids got stuff. You'd be surprised. And all it takes is, oh, I like that sentence. Ooh, there you go. And at this point, I say, now, this might be a writing exercise for you, or you might decide to tell this at lunch two weeks from now. It's up to you. Oh, that's good. And I have to say, you know, as a storyteller, I have to write down my stories. I have to see that they flow. I have to see that they they don't jump around, that they 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 are logically steps working toward the end. And I explained to him it's not stand-up comedy because you don't have to worry about timing or the punchline. You are just telling a story. And I said it's better if you could tell the story to somebody and then have them read it. And I'll come back to that in a minute. Anyway, uh, then I, um, I, uh, I, I uh, do a story where I use description. Uh-huh. And uh, the story is a kid named... Uh, Randy, and the story is Booger, and I won't bore you with the story, but uh, <laughs> uh, I can it, imagine already. <laughs> it, it's uh, it, it has a punchline to it. It's a, uh, but it works out. And I say, now, what did Randy look like? And of course, you get all sorts of answers. And I say, all right, you've given me a physical description. Now, tell me what Randy you know about Randy that doesn't have physical description. All of a sudden, oh, you know, he talks in a low voice. Oh, okay, okay. What else? Well, he doesn't like Emily. Oh, how'd you know that? Well, he just doesn't. Well, explain why. Well, you know. And we, we work through those so that they get a good meat of what the character is, who it is, how it functions. Um, and then we add the setting. we got the setting. we got the character. Now I say, all right, plug in the conflict, and let's see what we got. Because at the Thurber house, we're more interested in them writing than me talking. So in the hour and 45 minutes, I plan in my lesson plan or when I go to schools that they're writing for at least 35 minutes to 40 minutes easy. Oh, and I great. just roam around and stick my head in. And by this time, I'm an old friend. And, of course, the kids always say, well, I didn't spell this right. And I say, ah, what's the rule? No spelling. Because I can't spell worth crap, so I don't care. Now, once we've got the story, they've got a storyline. We have to talk about an ending. Now, a lot of kids and the teacher, and the teachers usually write a story along with the kids. A lot of teachers like tie all the loose ends up. Everything has to fit. But I say, you don't have to do that. What you can do is have a jump ending, and I explain what a jump ending is, and then I explain what Stephen King does, a double jump ending, where you kill the monster, he comes to life, you have to kill him again. And then I tell him, you can just leave him hanging. Uh, we did a uh, writing cafe, uh, a parent and a child. We had 70 uh, groups, a parent and child, who came to a conservatory. It's a plant conservatory in Columbus, and we had three different stations, and one of them was mine. And, um, and I explained the ending idea, and then one of the girls who read her piece afterward 
she started on her piece and she said, then suddenly, and then she stopped. That was the end. <laughs> she didn't do anything else. And I explained to them that some scary stories are the best that leave you wondering, what was that? Let your imagination loose. Yes. In my uh, my book, School of Scary Stories, I have 13 plus 1. The 1 is a story that does not have an end, and they have to figure it out. And if they don't figure it out, they can go to my website, and uh, the answer is there. But I make them work for it. And I have done that in schools. I have told that story up to the ending, and if, I'll say, all right, what do you think happened? In In telling that in endings, it's wonderful because I get all sorts of good storylines. Well, that's a pretty good ending. Well, that might be. But I never tell them what the ending is, which makes them all mad. But I see. See how many little endings you got here? You got a whole different storyline. No, here. but that's Barnum and Bailey's. That's Barnum and Bailey's line. It's leave them wanting more. Exactly, and and wanting the answer. And I I keep trying to tell them there may not be an answer. And this one girl who did this suddenly at the end of her piece set it up beautifully. I I was just tickled to death that she did it. And several of my kids in the hour and a half I had with them then wrote read some of their stories. And um, and then the other thing is the kids have my email. So when they finish the story, they can email me the story, and I'll give them some suggestions. And usually send them a copy of my book, especially if it's a good one. Um, one of them that was happened last week was uh, a girl sent me one after three weeks I'd been in the school uh, about um, – a hallway that's haunted in her school, and she, you know, she uses myths. And Darla always has to go to the bathroom third period, and she has to walk down this hallway <laughs> and see. Oh, it's beautifully done, beautifully done. I, in fact, I even even called her school and told her teacher and sent it to her teacher. All right, now we've got we've got everything in place now, and now we say, all right, I want you to finish it up. And then you're going to have to read it aloud, and somebody else is going to have to act it out. This way, you have all sorts of gap hall, and the next thing he's in the graveyard, the kid goes, how would I get here? How would you put me here? And it makes the kids fill in the blanks. Again, they're reading their story. Uh, they read it better than anybody because they can put in all the mistakes they didn't find or they found. We all do that when we proofread our stuff. And And... Once they do that, it's like, oh, yeah, oh, I shouldn't have done that, huh? Oh, maybe I should do this. And we, I turn them loose in pairs, and they do that, and they do it for each other. And then I pick about three, and I say, I'm going to give a prize to the person who learned the most. Write down what you've learned about your story from your friend acting it out. And sometimes I'll get four or five or six or seven, but the guy that wins the most gets the best prize. And my prize is a T-shirt with the picture of the School of Scary Stories on it. Oh. So I'm doing a little marketing while I'm doing that. But the idea is, you know, I want them to accept the fact that they make mistakes. When I do storytelling residencies, every kid who performs gets a T-shirt. That's wonderful. And. It's really not that. It doesn't really cost that much. If you're a storyteller, you're like, wow. It costs. No, it doesn't cost that much because you're producing. You get a lot of T-shirts, and the schools love it. And then for years afterwards, the kids wear the shirts to the school, and the, the principal sees them. Oh yeah, and the principal remembers that, and the kids remember it. 
Okay, now we've got down, we talk about revision. Now, the way I talk about revision is I have about four paragraphs I read. And as I read it, I say, I want you to listen for the sour note hmm. as on a piano. Now, so do you, I read, do you read it, your own writing, not their writing? I read my own writing. Right. And I put in all the mistakes I possibly can. Some of them are not there on purpose, <laughs> but it ends up that way. And they all, hands go up. And I say, And I think by letting them hear bad grammar and syntax and uh, verb agreement, it it makes it better. I think I know we're all supposed to be visual learners, but I think we can combine it. And I will write it on the board as soon as they put their hand up. I'll write it on the board so they can see it. And I'll say, what should this be? And then I'll cross through that and write the other thing. And uh, I explain revision as if you're cleaning a window. You wipe the window off and clean it, and then you step back and you look for the smudges. Hmm. Oh, I've got to do that one. Oop, got to do that one. Oop, that one. And then pretty soon you've got to clean. Now, after they've written the story, and um, I forget, oh, there's a very famous person who writes about storytelling, and I can't remember. Bach, Bauman, Bauman's his name. And um, he talked about keying, keying the story, framing it, setting it up. So after they read the story, I say, all right, now I want you to write a first sentence of this story. It's called your grabber sentence. It makes the guy turn the page to see what's going on. And having written the story and know what it's like, it's, it's hard for some kids, but a lot of kids come up with great grabber sentences. Uh, not the ghost was on the porch and there was blood on the floor. Ooh, ooh. Bill Donison Place has been deserted for years, and we'll drive by it, my mom and I, not even pay any attention. But I've been looking closer now that the lights have been coming on after midnight. Hmm. Everybody, everybody clams up when you talk about Locker 3. Nobody wants to talk about it, and if you ask the teachers, they always change the subject. You want a nice frame to set them up and bring them in, and then you go for the gusto, I guess. Um, and you're using, I use the stories to teach as illustrations. And when I go through, and then I'll go through one last story, and I'll say, all right, uh, write down. Don't tell me, write down. And I have them have a, a, I say, write a box and put down suspension, character, conflict, setting. All right, write down what you remember from that and it, how you would change it because kids love to do that. And then I can go around and look and see if they got it or didn't. And that's kind of my, I guess, evaluation. Hmm. And that takes, takes since I do it slower than I'm doing it now, and I have them write quite a bit, I think I don't want kids to sit and listen to me. I want them to listen to the story, and I say, you know, listen to the story with a good, solid re- reader's eye, because you might see this in print sometime. One of the things I like about the system you're describing, um, and understand that I have a master of science in teaching, and I am a professional storyteller, so I come from both worlds, um, and I also am a dyslexic person. I didn't know that you had the similar issues. Uh, one of the things I really like about it is the safety of what you're describing, for for the student to explore. I really like that. Well, and uh, the safety of saying, get your story, here's my email, send me it. 
and I, I, I picked up three today from a school I was, I said, three weeks ago. All of a sudden the kids sent it. So, so I'm going to send it back with nothing but praise. I like the way you did this. I like the way you did that. You might want to talk, think about this, but I like the way you did that. And I always talk about setup. I always talk about setup. For example, I'll say, when somebody walks down a path in the woods, have you ever noticed that the camera is behind the trees looking down at you in the path? Or if you walk into a building, you don't just walk in a building, you get got, you walk in a building, you walk down a hallway, you open a door, you know. You hear something there in the closet. <laughs> they want you to they want to suck you in. They want you they don't want to kill you right off. They want to make sure it works. And then when I'm finished with that, I will go around and, you know, at least mention something to every kid. I had a hundred and twenty I don't know why I did this in a session, so I couldn't do it all, but I, I did go around at least look at every kid once. And that meant I had to do probably 45 minutes worth of writing, which was fine with me. And you know something? It was quiet in that cafeteria while they were writing. Hmm. And uh, I just I did one for a friend of mine about, well, about three or four weeks ago. I had had her as an English teacher when I was a principal, so she said, my kids hate writing. What am I going to do? So I came in, and I did this. And then I did a little uh, evaluation. I said, first of all, was it easy to understand? All 30 kids said, yep, it's easy to understand. Was it fun? Yes, it was fun. D- will this motivate you to write more? Of the 30 kids, 26 said yes. And these are kids who didn't like to write at all. And it's just simple. It's and the, not, skill you know, set, the skill set you're describing is not a skill set that you have to be a master storyteller to use. No. You know, you just have to be willing to put a little bit of your own writing, you know, not your own writing, but your own story in front of the kids. You have to be willing to have a few simple examples um, and be willing to trust the kids that they can follow this process through. And be willing to, since I know what it like, feels like to fail, be willing to try to make it as safe as possible, and when you know, and and I'll say something. The kids say, "Why, you know, why didn't you do this?" You know, boy, that's a good idea. Wish I'd have thought of that. Storytelling with children. <laughs> Storytelling with children. Storytelling with children. So let's let's go back through the steps again, real quick. Let's just break them down into each each stage. Okay, like first one line for each stage. Okay, first day is um you tell a story and make sure they they like it. It's a good story and then you you ask them, "All right, what did you think of it? What set you off? What do you remember?" And and a way a cheater's way around this is you get a good story in a book and you read it to them that you really like, a scary story that'll that'll get them in. If you're uncomfortable just telling I can't read orally well, so that wouldn't work for me. But but some people who may not be be uncomfortable telling. Oh, could read, could read, yes, could read, yeah. yeah, could read that. Uh, then you start talking about what exactly is scary, you, and you make the decision to decide, you know, what is scary and what's shock value. And so you're having the kids brainstorm on the board, basically. Yes. Values, okay. And if not, I have big, uh, I have a, a a big easel and stuff. After and then I say what is scary, and they have to decide what is scary. What do uh, movie makers use? And then I explain that that when I'm telling a story, and I didn't put this in, uh, it makes a different part of your brain light up than if you're sitting there watching a TV, 
because there's a relationship and it, you have to do a lot more imagination because it's not right there in front of you. Right. Uh, Bill Dave Oak. Medicine Story talks about that in length in in his podcast on the power of mythology in children. But um, so going through the day, just going through the the system, just really simply step by step. What's the next step after introducing the kids to the system and brainstorming? Uh, vocabulary, uh, 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 vocabulary phrases. So you're uh, not introducing new vocabulary, but you're getting them to brainstorm on vocabulary. On vocabulary, and you're I want saying, it new because I list. do. I do cross out old vocabulary. I listed all the old freaky and spooky and scary, and I cross those out. You can't use those. But but the new vocabulary comes from them, or you're you're providing it? Like no, you them, them. Them, yeah. Uh, they put together words and phrases, and then they write a setting. After they've written a setting, we come back and we uh, we talk about conflict. All right, how what you got a setting? Now we're going to do with it. After the setting, we talk about um, characters. After the conflict, talk about, talk about talk about characters. Talk about characters. Then we go to endings, and then we kind of draw it all together. And the last part of it is... Now, wait, wait. As you talk about each part, do you have them do one example for their story, like a paragraph or something? At least. At yeah. least. Sometimes I have them do two. Okay. Especially if I see something, I say, ooh, why don't you go off? Why don't you take this? Why don't you do this? Try this one. And, then, um, and if a kid not... can't write anything, I'll just say, well, tell me something scary. Hmm. And you're not taking those kids, the, what they're working on, you're not reading anything out loud without a kid's permission. You're not sharing anything no. with a larger group. No. Um, everything. I will ask the kid to share it. I'll say, uh, back there, I don't remember your hair, but the pretty blonde hair. You, I, I t- circled something you wrote. Could you read that for us all? What if the kid says no? What do you do? Can I read it? And what if they say no then? I'll say, fine, thank you very much, and I'll move on to the next one. Now that right there, see, that is the mark of an excellent... A lot of times I will tell them, Can I, will you read this later? Right, and usually and if, they'll build up to it because they know they could say no to it a little bit and that they feel better about sharing. They could, but, you know, I praised them. They know it's good. I'm saying this right. is good. And I, you know, now she back there wrote something that was really good. You remember I told you that? What was it you wrote? And she stands up and, hey, this guy says I'm doing good, so they read it. I, very, I have never had anybody say no, ever. Yeah. But if they do, they do. I, it's, li- it's like when um, uh, you have kids come up and they'll freeze. You're using them on the storytelling skit and they freeze. I'll say, well, well can you just stand right by me and kind of help me out? Oh, yeah. So they'll stand by me. You know, they won't say anything. <laughs> I've gone up there. Somebody's telling a story and they've done it and they're good. And they're up there and they're frozen. So I go up and I say, well, I'm going to finish the story for her. And she's and they'll whisper in my ear and I'll tell them. <laughs> and it's very sweet. You know, the audience really appreciates <laughs> and, and you you want to be kind to people. As long as you're kind to people, they will definitely respond. And, and I tell them kind, part of being kind is being patient. You know. Well, this is not a, a quick process. Yeah. You have to pull, and I explain to them uh, if I have time how I, I write a story and how it takes time and how I have to go back and do it. And you know, and one thing I do. And I wish more teachers did this. And I did. I do workshops for the Greater Columbus Arts Council about how to go into schools. And one of the things that I say, you have to tell the kids that, yeah, you have some talent in this art, but without discipline, hard work, you got nothing. Yeah. And you have to work hard at your trade. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of them don't say that. A lot of them make it look so easy. They think. And I also say, you know, you can do this too. If I can do it, if I come in and I say, you know, I was a poor reader. I was a kid in trouble, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
Well, anyway, all right. Uh, I make it easy to understand. I go through all the things. The last thing we do, mm-hmm. after, well, the second last thing we do is the kids read it to somebody who acts it out, and then we revise it. And then at the last thing we do is the grabber sentence, which kind of sets the whole story up. And uh, um, like the one about the nobody talks about locker nine, when you ask a teacher, they change the subject. But Mary always has to go there because she always has to go to the bathroom third period. This is what happened. And that's what a kid wrote. So, um, let's see. It, it gets low-achieving kids writing, for sure. And when you tell a low-achieving kid, boy, you've got some ability here, you know that? They, Just apply they yourself you. a little bit. They go, Just... are you crazy, sir? No, <laughs> look what you did here. Look at, ooh, you know? And, you know, I tell them I'm a writer, and, and and I have published books, and I've won a couple awards. And, you know, I know some stuff about writing. I know some stuff about storytelling. And Can I it, ask some questions? Yes, yes, I'm just getting to that. Okay. Please. <laughs> okay. Um, the podcast doesn't know who you are. Okay. I'm uh, Judy Seema from Michigan, and from the Detroit what, area in Michigan. You have a you have a... You have a role in the National Storytelling Association? I am the um, regional director for the North Central Region for National Storytelling Network. And Jim is one of my state liaisons. So uh, we have a a connection and a bond, I hope. She puts up with me, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's your question, Judy? Okay, a couple questions. Uh, Number one, um, you said day one. How how long does this process take if you're working with a group of kids? Uh, Did you do it, it over can, one day, two days? Two days. How many hours? Two days. Two days, about four hours total. But I break it up into probably uh, four one-hour times, and I give them breaks. Okay. Um, and then on the postcard, you said um, you said something about uh, working with state benchmarks. Oh. So how do you convince the teachers that they should have you come to their school or the school district? <laughs> Okay, that's that's the other part of this. You want to wind that part up, and then I'll start on that one? Oh, yeah. Um, well, let's go into it, because we only have 20 minutes left, so okay. we better get on it. <laughs> All right, Judy, here we go. Um, as a principal, somebody, you know, said, well, you know, this is going to be covered, this benchmark and that benchmark. I wouldn't have a clue. You know, I, I don't. But, but if somebody gives me some reasons why I should have this storyteller in, then if some board member or some teacher says, well, why are we doing this? I've got some reasons. I um, I went to Sherry Norfolk's um, workshop in Bellingham, and she did a marvelous job. And one of the things she stressed was you have to do your own, own homework. My homework was I went to special education teachers, and I asked them about storytelling. And the reason I did this was special education teachers have to write those wonderful IEPs. Mm-hmm. and they can't write five paragraphs. They do it succinctly in about three sentences. Mm-hmm. So they can, they, and I, I said, now this is what I think storytelling does. What do you think? And then we go from there. I think if you come in, you don't mention benchmarks. I do have them on my website, and that works. One of the things that we got praised for by Storytel Magazine was we had the uh, curriculum connections on the Southern Ohio Storytelling Festival website. Right. Yeah. So if the teachers go to that, they can see it. Uh basic benchmarks. Uh one of them, one of my favorites. Uh storytelling enhances 
sequencing in the brain, and it improves auditory memory structure. That is comprehension. Say that last one again, improve? Auditory memory structure. You know what, Jim? I'm going to have you um, post a second post just on this subject, if that's okay with you. Sure. Just like a two-paragraph post about listing the benchmarks. Will do. If that's all right. But Fine. On. This, Eric, is if I come in and say, well, uh, storytelling improves reading, your first question is how. Okay. You better have done your homework and say how. That would be one of them. Obviously, it introduces vocabulary, uh, fosters patterns of language, fosters language patterns, repetition and rhyming for little kids. Um, some teacher and I sat down and developed storytelling versus Bloom's taxonomy. I don't know if they still use that or not, but you know, knowledge, comprehension, application, analysis, synthesis, and evaluation. So, for knowledge, memory, comprehension, summarize and get the gist of the story. Application, retelling. Analysis, clarify the story. Synthesis, make the main point. And then evaluation uh, would be why is this important. Judge the story and its meaning. And there, that you could read that off to teachers and they go, oh, darn. And you have yes. to know what you're doing. You have to be able to talk teacher talk. Right, right. And, Which um, changes all the time. It does, but basically... Um, well, basically, an artist comes into school and they have a preconceived idea of what an artist is. So you have to kind of break that mold. One of the things that is wonderful about storytelling is, if and I do it with my character education, kids get to kibitz. And kids can kibitz in safety because of the fact that, you know, nobody's going to hurt them or smack them if they get it wrong. They just kibitz. Well, I wouldn't have done that. Boy, I'd have done what, this. What is kibitz? Uh, criticize. I wouldn't have done that. And they can do it in safety and offer their opinions. The other thing about, well, uh, this is true about storytelling. Um, there are three major ways to teach character education. Lecture, teachable moment if you catch the kid, and storytelling. Those are the three ways to teach character education. At the last... Uh, a SACO meeting, which was Sunday, we were talking about things. A, a student from Ohio State was there, and I read him uh, an excerpt from uh, American Heritage Magazine that talked about the importance of storytelling. And then I told him the date of the magazine uh, article was 1910. Just tell us what SACO is because people won't yep. know. Uh, let's see. When SACO is Storytellers Central Ohio, Okay. Um, I tell teachers that when we got the drug education and we had to teach drug education to kids, first thing we did was try to scare the hell out of kids. That didn't work. And then we gave them all the information in the world. Jeez, I don't know who thought that up. Boy, that was stupider than. <laughs> and then we started talking about feelings. For kids, feelings are payoffs. Hmm. I tell my, my audiences, you may not remember my name, but you will remember how my stories made you feel. And therein is what stories do. If you bound an important point in a story, we know that retention is going to be 80 to 90%, especially put humor in it. Uh, you have to tell kids that if they want to write a story, 
to tell it they have to write it down. They have to save it. It has to be transferred to paper. There's no other way. Let's see. Does, does that to... really answer your question about state benchmarks? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, i got a little more here. Hold on. Okay. Because uh, uh, in my state, the teachers are scared to death, and they teach to the test. Mm-hmm. All over. Michigan, too. And to be honest, you have to get them to make some, um, oh, what would I call, some chances. I have to tell you that I don't know of any teacher that's been fired for test scores. If that happened, then NEA and OEA in my state would be in big trouble because people would say, well, if you let that happen, what am I paying you money for? I imagine that OEA is, or NEA is sitting there with big pockets of money waiting for some school system to do that so they can jump in. Mm-hmm. It's very, very, very hard to... to uh, but there's but a lot you, of pressure because the school doesn't get its funding if, if the school doesn't meet the standards with this no child left behind. Yeah, that's true, but there are lots of, well... It takes a while till they they do that, but there's that threat hanging over your head that it's yeah. going to happen. I think it's the threat to the principals, because in Ohio, principals are going to be fired for even if you've got a contract. But anyway, I digress. Um, uh, stories about people uh, dealing with life provokes opinions, not stories about Michael Jordan. Nobody wants to hear about Michael Jordan. I'm not going to be Michael Jordan. Except perhaps Michael Jordan and his family. Yeah. But kids want to hear about real kids. And the stories point out, and you tell teachers that, that people worry and struggle in the same life. There's a common thread. When I went to Ireland and told stories, the kids would say, well, that happened right in my neighborhood. I bet it did, even though it happened in southern Ohio. Uh, there are, I can put on the website other things, but basically you want the teachers to know that this is not just entertainment and it's not just for little kids. And um, right. I, I, and I, the, the, the special ed teachers help me a great deal. Okay, that's a good idea. I can ask, that's a good idea, talking to special ed teachers. <laughs> I've sat through enough IEP conferences that I know they don't want to be there for five hours. And, um, and it's just the mere fact that uh, stories uh, differentiate between facts and feelings. I've interviewed um, quite a number of principals trying to figure out how principals think and just asking them lots of questions about the profession. And It was a big eye-opener for me when I first started doing it because it there was some pretty obvious stuff that just didn't occur to me that they told me about how they think and what's important to them. It's it, well. It's it's a different mindset. Although I would have probably been a principal even if they hadn't paid me. I loved my job, but uh, there are some days when I think, "What the hell am I doing?" <laughs> uh, one of the things that um, for uh, social studies, uh, anger and behavior are based on memories for learned experience, and you can show how anger and behavior have consequences in story. And just give the kids ideas about what to do. Um, I my standing offer to schools is if you didn't think it worked, you get it for free. Hmm. I've never ever had to get any money back. Yeah, taking advantage. And because when you start talking about things, teachers, oh yeah. And I, I feel for teachers. I was a teacher. I know what it's like to be a teacher, and I know the pressures they're under. And this thing will change too at some point. Guaranteed, we'll go to a new trend. 
I think I can't wait till the No Child Left Untested Act has been passed by. Um, uh, last question, Judy, for for Jim. No, no, that's fine. Okay, I'm I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, good. Last, uh, you want to wrap up here? We're we're rapidly sure. coming to a close. Yeah. Um, the reason I use uh, storytelling to teach writing is out of my own history and being a low-achieving student, and I want something to motivate them, get them excited. And kids, all kids can tell stories. So I tell, all right, you tell the story, you put it in paper. Um, it works. I have not seen it not work. Every time I send my evaluations around, the answer, was it clear, was it fun? All the kids say yes, and a lot of times I'll get over 70% of the kids say, yeah, I think I'm going to write something. And a lot of kids enjoy it. I say, all of you in this room are good writers. Some of you are just very, very good writers. <laughs> and, of course, they don't believe me, but I prove it. Uh, for uh, curriculum connections, it's very important. Uh, it got a lot of uh, schools to send their kids to the storytelling festival because the teachers could go to the website, click on the link, and say, see. And they need that. The biggest thing we fight here, and I suppose everywhere, is that storytelling is just for little kids. No, it's not. And it's not just entertainment. It is entertainment and education at the same time. And with that, I think I'm running out of breath. <laughs> well, I think you filled us up. We are full. Our minds are chewing. And um, I want to give you the opportunity to give an offer to the audience. We discussed an offer before the call, but I actually have an idea for a better offer for you. All right, shoot, what is so it? So let me tell you what it is, and you can approve it for our audience. Uh, my suggestion for you is that you offer to the first 20 people who want to contact you by email. They send you a PDF of their um, of their benchmarks that are that are taken care of within their performance, and you write them back telling them if, it, if it's pretty on target. What do you think of that? The, the problem with – it is, but some story – I do uh, – I'm a – a reviewer for the Greater Columbus Arts Council. I audition people who get to be artists in schools, and some of them just put down, you know, benchmark four, page twenty-two. I'm not looking that up. Come on. Well, that, that's exactly what I'm. That's why they're. That's why they're sending this to you to say this isn't done properly, or so you, you, you're giving them an idea just by what you just said of, of the level of standard they have to have before they even send it to you. They have to do their own homework, and then they have to put it in simple terms. Most principals only were taught to read a page. When I get to the end of the page, I don't read anymore. <laughs> and um, um, it's got to make sense to me. And I've got to be able to look at it and make sense. What we have decided to do with SACO is to try to go to colleges and hit the kids before they become teachers and say, now this is a brand new tool that you can use in your bag to teach because a lot of teachers just don't have the time. Well, I want to make an offer to the audience who is listening on the podcast and also – um, to you both of you, if you want, if you want this, um, I have a list of ten questions that I got um, from a marketer, and of course I'll quote the book from. It's the book I get the ten questions from is the ultimate um, writing the ultimate sales letter. Anyway, there are ten questions in that book, and they are the most amazing ten questions for learning about your client base. And so, for the first fifteen people that send me their mailing address, um, I would be glad to send you this list of ten questions that, if you ask your customers, whether they're principals or churches or nursing homes, whatever storytelling group you work with, whether it's camps or um, 
festivals. If you ask these 10 questions, it really helps you to understand how best to market to them and sell them. Um, so the first 15 people, it doesn't matter if it's 10 years from now, <laughs> um, who contact me with your e- – send me an email with your address and your phone number uh, and your name um, and your email address, and I will uh, shoot you back an email with this list of 10 uh, 10 questions. Um, last words of advice for the storytelling community? Uh, go out and explain to people that uh, you're not just an entertainer it's not just because there are a lot of talkers out there, but there aren't a lot of tellers to say that you know, t- storytelling can be used in a classroom, it can be used to teach, and it's not just for little kids. Stories are definitely the thing that brings life to our lives, and it definitely is something that builds families and communities. Well, you have spent another hour with the art of storytelling with children with me, Brother Wolf, and today's guest, guest uh, Jim Flanagan. Um, oh, Jim, what's your website? Uh, www.positivetales.org. Um, Judy, thanks for being on the call. What's your website? Uh, www.judysima.com. It's right. J-U-D-Y-S-I-M-A.com. If you're listening to this call and wondering why you missed it, <laughs> all you have to do is put your email and your name into the alert list on my website, which is www.ericwolf.org or www.storytellingwithchildren.com. And I will send you, shoot you out an email on the day, actual day. I just want to remind you folks that may be listening to the call between next Thursday and next Friday, that next week I got a double header planned, which is very exciting. Um, I have Stephen... um, Holland. I got Stephen Holland, thank you, uh, coming up on Tuesday at 7 o'clock. And then on that Wednesday, I have a special show with Bill McKell. So Stephen Holland will be talking about improvisational storytelling with children, creativity in children, in telling stories and creating the story with the kids in the classroom or in the festival. And Bill McKell on Wednesday will be talking about founding a festival from scratch. Bill McKell is the originator of the Southern Ohio Storytelling Festival, which I understand that you're involved with too, Jim. Yes, yes, he is a founder and uh, still uh, quite... He has turned over presidency, but it's really, it's really, it's run. It, the, the film, the festival is run by 14 volunteers. Huh. Well, thank you so much for listening, and thank you both for coming. Thank you, thank you, Judy. Everybody. Thank you, thank you. This guest has written a post for the blog at www.storytellingwithchildren.com. You can make a comment or ask a question in the blog comment box about this discussion. If you wish to join a future discussion live on the call, go to www.storytellingwithchildren.com and sign up to the email alerts to receive future notices of shows. This show was conceived, hosted, and produced by me, Eric Wolf. And to support the show, you may learn more about my storytelling work by going to www.ericwolf.org. The music was created by Mary Kay Croft, and we are much indebted to her contribution. This podcast is the responsibility of Brother Wolf Storytelling and is distributed under a Creative Commons non-derivative license. That means you can copy it and give it away, but you can't edit it or sell it. Thank you so much for listening.